Well, good morning, Refuge Church. How are we doing this morning? Love that. Love that question, right? It doesn't matter how we're doing because we're getting into God's word today. Amen. Uh, all right, so if, uh, if you haven't been here the last few weeks, uh, we are going through the 12 minor prophets, as you can see here. Uh, there we go. Um, today, we are going to be continuing that, and I was thinking uh, as we came in here, so uh, what's, the, what's your favorite place to go to lunch? So I know we're all rushing out after this. What's, uh, name out some places that you go to lunch right after this. I've heard none of that. One at a time. Red Koi. I heard Red Koi. Give me something else. McDonald's. McDonald's, goodness. Step your game up. Just kidding. It's good. Slim Chickens. This is, did someone say Cracker Barrel? What? No one goes to Cracker Barrel? Okay, it's right there. Okay, thank you, Mr. David Polk Sr. over there. Uh, so if you walk into Cracker Barrel, you will see uh, lots of stuff, right? There's lots of stuff in there. Uh, if you go to Hobby Lobby, you will see a lot of the same stuff, Right? A lot of blessed, a lot of family, a lot of uh, Bible verses written on there, right? So these are the, what we call like the, uh, uh, the mug verses. So uh, we have, have a prop today. Look at, look at that. We are a prop church now. Uh, nothing that you'll see that we're going to read through today, you will see on a mug. I've actually thought about uh, starting our own uh, brand of mugs where we just put the less popular verses on there. This is one that my sister made for me because I, I mentioned it and then she, uh, uh, she brought it to life. It says, uh, so imagine this, seeing this in your Hobby Lobby or, or Cracker Barrel. It says, so because you are warm and you are neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. <laughs> Would anybody buy this? Yes. I'm selling it. Just kidding. So we're going to see a lot of these verses today that could, I guess could be on these kind of mugs, uh, but it's a lot of heavy stuff. You know, maybe for, you know, uh, later in the text, uh, you'll see God call women cows. Is that a good Mother's Day uh, gift maybe? I don't know. We'll, we'll find out. But uh, that's out of context, by the way. Um, we'll see why. Uh, but a lot of heavy stuff today. Uh, a lot of heavy stuff. We're going to be in the book of Amos, if you have your Bibles. Uh, you will need, again, I will not have the text up on the screen. Uh, you will need a Bible today or your app, but uh, turn to the book of Amos. So I want to set up something before we get into this book, and I'm going to ask my students, wake up, I'm going to ask my students a question here, okay? Uh, so what do we say, we've said it multiple times, what do we say that the Old Testament law, what do we compare that to? Do you remember, Drew? I thought we'd have more of the high school. We talked about it last week. I'm not calling you out. Do you remember? Okay, it's all right. An x-ray machine. Do you remember that? MRI. MRI or an x-ray machine. So when we go and we look at these Old, text, Old Testament texts, I want us to think of the law as an x-ray machine. So an x-ray machine is good at showing you the problem, right? But is it, have, is it good at all of solving the problem? Is it? No, it cannot help you solve, it, cannot, it can help you solve, but it is powerless to actually fix the problem. So, as we go into Amos, we're going to see a lot of judgment. The whole book is about God's wrath and judgment on his people, and we get this small glimpse at the end of hope. But I want us to go into this and see that this judgment has already been laid on one person. Amen? 
This judgment has been laid on Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that we tie this nice little uh, bow on this chapter uh, because how much of God's word is profitable and good for teaching? All of it, right? So we're seeing a different side, and that's the whole purpose. We probably we couldn't have picked a tougher text to go through, uh, a tougher series than the Minor Prophets. It's a lot of, you know, we, we talk about expository preaching here at the we, we go through uh, book by book, and we go through the whole thing. And we will be going through all nine chapters today, but the truth is the whole book is difficult. So we're going to be going through that. But I want us to, to have this mindset going through this that uh, it is profitable for teaching. The whole book of Amos is profitable. But this judgment that we see has already been laid on one person in Jesus. And if you put your faith in him and your trust in him, you may be bent, you may be broken, but you will not be destroyed. Amen? So this good, and then the good fruit, the things that we see, the, the, what he's trying to teach us through Amos, these are what's produced by the Holy Spirit. Not something that, a, again, like I said last week, this is not a try harder, do better sermon, but there's a lot that we can learn from it. But this is something that is produced by the Holy Spirit when we respond to the Holy Spirit. So a little context on Amos. Hopefully your turn there uh, now. So Amos himself, uh, we know a little, just a little bit about him. He was a uh, he was a shepherd, uh, not as <clears throat> excuse me, not a pastor shepherd, an actual shepherd, a, a farmer, a fig tree farmer, a normal guy. So when you take take out of this, is that he was just a normal guy who God called to go give a message. You'll see a lot in the scripture, thus says the Lord. He is a, is a prophet. He's someone who is speaking for the Lord. And we have this today. We have the word. So just like if, if, this, if the Holy Spirit is prompting you to go give a word, be obedient and go give that word. This is who Amos was. He was a, a simple farmer who was called to go give a word. So he was, in the, he was in the southern kingdom. He was called to go give a word to the northern kingdom in a time of peace and prosperity. So imagine this would be like somebody who had a word. This is a, a, probably a terrible example. But this would be like somebody coming in 2019 uh, to the United States and saying, there is a giant pandemic coming your way. Be warned. In 2019, things weren't that bad, right? It was like, I mean, we didn't know comparatively what was coming. But if someone came and told us that, we'd be like, get out of here. We don't need to hear that right now. Uh, but that's what Amos was like. He was going up to these northern kingdoms, and he was bringing, he was bringing a word of judgment that was to come. So the timing, we, we know roughly it's about 760 uh, B.C. We don't know exactly. We do have in the first words a, uh, a rough timeline. But uh, what I'm going to do today is we're going we're gonna to go through the whole scripture. I'm going to zoom in on a couple of verses, but I'm going to give an overview uh, first. But I wanted to remind us of a couple of themes. So if you were here last week, we talked about the day of the Lord. And again, we'll hear this alluded to today. The day of the Lord, think destruction or salvation. So the day of the Lord is going to be really good for some people and really bad for others. The day of the Lord, destruction or salvation. This is the one that you'll see woven through all of the minor prophets, calls to repentance and reminders of God's goodness. We're going to see that again today. And then y'all know that I like to just give them up front. Hopefully you can read that, put on your glasses. But these are, these are a couple of the themes that we're going to be going through and just to get an idea before we go uh, through the whole book. So God's standards are universal. What God says applies to 
all of us. But it starts with us Christians. It applies to everyone, but it starts with us Christians. We are not exempt from God's law. Our treatment of others reflects our relationship with God. We're going to see judgments on the nations of how they treated other nations. We're going to see judgments on Israel based on how they treated others and how they treat God. We saw this last week as well. Religion without your heart is disgusting to God. That's, that's the wording of the, of the scriptures, disgusting, and something that he hates. And then lastly, that God's purpose has always been to restore his people through Jesus for his glory. So that's where we're headed uh, this morning. So here's a, a quick overview of, like I said, we're going to be going through all nine chapters today. Uh, so chapters one and two, these are going to be mes- messages of judgment to the nations and to Israel. Chapters three through six are going to be further reasons for judgment. Like I said, it's heavy. There's a lot of judgment coming today. And then chapters seven through nine are going to be visions. And then we get this small glimpse of hope at the end of restoration. And I, literally, it's just the last little bit of it. Uh, so that's where we're going today. Let me pray for us as we head into this text, and then we'll dive in. Father, I thank you again for your word. God, thank you that you have given us your word to study, to reflect on, to meditate on. God, what a gift we have in you and your word. God, we are sinners in need of a Savior this morning. God, fix our hearts this morning upon Christ. Open our minds to your word and what you have to say to us. God, remind us of the gospel. Empty us of anything of this world. Father, keep me from error this morning. May only your word remain. May this message that you have for us this morning encourage and equip us to respond to you in grace. We love you and we praise you. Pray this in your son's name. Amen. So chapters 1 and 2, again, these are, these are kind of clumped together. We're going to dive right in. The words of Amos, is chapter, verse 1, the words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which, was, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Isaiah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. Again, this is sort of a, a frame of reference. Uh, judgment on Israel's neighbors. And he said, the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn and the top of Carmel withers. Verse three, thus says the Lord for three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. Because they, have threshed, because they have threshed Gilead with threshing sledges of iron. So I will send fire upon the house of Hazael, and it shall devour the strongholds of Ben-Hadad. I will break the gate bar of Damascus and cut the inhabitants from the valley of Avon. And him who holds the scepter of, from Beth Eden and the people of Syria shall go into exile to Ker, says the Lord. So we have this first judgment. I don't know if you all can see this. You just have to trust me. So this is a, a map of the time here. So what I want you to see is well, first where is uh, who's being judged right now? Who's being who's who's in the first part here who's being judged? I have to say it louder. I hear a lot of I think that's right. Damascus. 
Damascus, right? So that's these, can you all see that? Up to the north. So this is Damascus up here. So this is who is being judged right now. So we're going to put a pin there. Uh, and for four. So you heard this. The Lord roars from Zion uh, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four. So this is just saying for the three I can judge and for four, this means that there's been many more transgressions. That's when, when you see this. And we'll see it multiple times. Let's continue. For three transgressions of Gaza and for four, I will not revoke my punishment because they carried into exile a whole people to deliver them up to Edom. So who's being judged here? Who is it? Gaza. So we're going to put that there. We'll start to notice a trend. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Tyre and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they delivered up a whole people to Edom and did not remember the covenant of brotherhood. So I will send a fire upon the wall of Tyre. Where, who's, who's being judged now? Tyre. It's up here. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Edom and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because he pursued his brother with the sword. So who now? Edom. Down here. You starting to notice a trend? For three, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of the Ammonites and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they have ripped open pregnant women in Gilead that they might enlarge their border. Who is it now? Ammon right here. All right, start to notice maybe a circle, something like that. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Moab and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because he burned, because he burned to lime the bones of the king of Edom, so I will send a fire upon Moab. So there's Moab. Keep going. So now this here, so so far, do you notice a trend? What's in the center of all this? Israel. Right, So this is the judgment upon the nations. And again, these are the judgments for what the nations have done to other nations, to other people. And so, so far, you know, he's, again, Amos is bringing this to the northern kingdom. Everyone's probably like, yes, good, go get him. That would be like if we all, were a, uh, if we all lived here at the refuge. If you're new here, we're not a cult. Don't worry, don't get, don't get freaked out. But if we all lived here at the refuge, that would be like uh, calling judgment on Raleigh. Look at those guys. Go, go get them. Or what about those dang uh, uh, Cordova, the dirty dove? Look at that. Go, go judge them. We're like, yeah, go get them, you know? And then it gets slowly closer. Like, man, Lakeland's, you know, they're doing some things over here. And then slowly we see this target coming in on us here at the refuge, right? We like it until it becomes a little bit too close to home. So we'll continue. Amos' popularity is about to drop here. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah... And for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they have rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his statutes, but their lives have led, their lies have led them astray, those after which their fathers walked. So I will send a fire upon Judah, and it shall devour the strongholds of Jerusalem. Getting closer here. Now this is where it hits close to home. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel... And for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they sell their righteous for silver, and the needy for a pair of sandals. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted, a man and his father go into the same girl, so that my holy name is profaned. 
They lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge, and in the house of their God they drink the wine of those who have been fined. So now we have this final target here on Israel. Did you notice the difference between the other nations and Judah and Israel? Did you notice a difference in what the judgments were for? So the other ones, and I kind of alluded to it already, the other judgments were for how they treated other nations. These two were because of how they treated other people and how they transgressed against God. So I want us to take away again, it starts with us. Remember the last couple of weeks, we've talked about Israel also applying to us, God's chosen people, us Christians. It starts with us here. So we see this target around Israel. In the earlier verse for Judah, it says their lies have led them astray. Blake preached on this as well. The lies, we could also insert their idols. The idols in their lives have led them astray. So Amos exposes these social sins of the nations before he actually exposes the religious sins. But he is pointing back, this is one big takeaway from today, is that... And one of, the, one of the points here and what I think he's trying to bring out is how we treat others is a reflection of how our relationship is with God. So I ask us today, how, are you, how do you treat others? Is that reflective of your relationship with God? Oh, I wasn't going to do this, but we're going to turn, turn to chapter 25 of Matthew if you, uh, if you can. Chapter 25. If you want a good picture of this, so again, this is, this is not just Old Testament. Coming into the New Testament, Matthew 25, the final judgment. Again, like we talked about, the final judgment, the, the, all of this punishment has been put on Jesus. But here's some words that we need to listen to. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, and he will sit on his glorious throne, before him will be gathered all the nations And he will separate people one from another as shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer to him, Truly I say to you, as you did it to the least, one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. How are you treating others? Today that may look like, yes, are you being called to a person? Are you being called to a people? Are you called, or you may be called, we are called to love our neighbors. And when we take care of the least of these, we do this unto the Lord. We'll go back into Amos. Amos. 
So again, we see the spiraling target onto Israel getting closer to home about the, on these, these judgments. So um, the other thing with Israel at this time was that they, they thought because they had these, they had the spiritual uh, blessings, they, had the, uh, they were the chosen people that they were exempt from God's law. And he's calling them out saying, this starts with you. Let's continue on. We've got a lot of ground to cover here. Uh, so again, chapters 3 through 5 are more reasons for judgment. We're going we're gonna to go into it. Starting off in verse 1, hear this word of the Lord has spoken to you, O people of Israel. Again, this is still Amos speaking to the, to the people of the north. Against the whole family that I brought up out of the land of Egypt, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Again, God is showing that he has chosen us. This is a chosen people. Did I not, the, the only, you only have I known out of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Israel knew better. We knew better. That's the thing as a Christian, the more you come to church, newsflash, the more you know. That's not a bad thing. That's a, this is a good thing. This is a loving father who is pulling things out, who is convicting us. The more, and they knew better. So he says, I will punish you for all your iniquities. We forget this. We have gospel amnesia. We forget the gospel. We need to be reminded of this. And hopefully this is a reminder for us this morning. It was certainly a reminder for me. Continuing in verse 3. Do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet? Does a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Does a young lion cry out from his den if he has taken nothing? Does a bird fall in the snare of the earth where there is no trap for it? Does a snare spring up out of the ground when it has taken nothing? Is a trumpet blown in the city and the people are not afraid? Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. The lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord has spoken, but who can prophesy? This is probably tough to kind of work through. All this is saying is that the Lord will, will do what he says. The Lord will do what he says. He says, you, I've given you warnings. I'm not just saying this to say it. We've talked about this. God has a purpose in all of this. He does not destroy without a purpose. Amen? He, has, he is coming. He says, what, what I say, I will do. And this is something that, should be, that they should fear, but it continues. Thus says the Lord, as the shepherd rescues from the mouth of the lion two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the people of Israel who dwell in Samaria be rescued with the corner of a couch or part of a bed. This is talking about, and we'll, it will come, we'll come to it later, how he will not utterly destroy his people. There will still be a remnant left. So God could, and is righteous, and is just to wipe us all out. He is just to wipe all out for, his, for their sins at this time, but God is going to leave a remnant out of the mouth of the lion, two legs or a piece of an ear. Yes, it's not much, but he is going to bring out his people with that remnant. A glimpse of hope, this small glimpse that we get here. God is purifying and strengthening Israel with discipline. Another way to put it is he said, you're going to get roughed up. This is not going to be fun, but you will be saved. That is good 
news that alludes to something later. Verse 14, that on that day I punish Israel, that on that day that I punish Israel for his transgressions, I will punish the altars of Bethel, and the horns of the altar shall be cut off and fall to the ground. I will strike the winter house along with the summer house, and the houses of ivory shall perish, and the great houses shall come to an end, declares the Lord. So he's calling out this lavish lifestyle. This could also apply today. I will strike your winter house. I will strike the house that you have now. I'll also strike that one on 30A that you have in Florida. It's going to be gone. All, nothing will escape your lavish lifestyle. I will destroy this. Again, do you remember from last week? Why does he do this? Why does God destroy? What was his purpose from Joel? Does anybody remember? I'll tell you. Return to the Lord. Remember that? Return to the Lord. We'll see this again here. He is, he's doing this. He's breaking down their lavish lifestyle to have them return to himself. This continues in chapter 4. Here it is, the beautiful mug verse. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring that we may drink. The Lord has sworn by his holiness that behold, the days of the Lord are coming upon you when they shall take you away with hooks, even the last of you with fish hooks. And you shall go through the breaches, each one straight ahead, and you shall be cast into Harmon, declares the Lord. Again, this is not a, a pretty picture. This is something that actually came true, though. When they were overtaken, there was literal, they were literally taking them out of Israel by fish hooks or by, by hooks and by dragging them through. So this actually happened. But he's talking here, this cow, the, the cows of Bashan, he's talking again about this lavish lifestyle. The cows of Bashan were these, uh, these fattened cows that, that were, uh, you know, good cows come from California, right? I think you're not supposed to say that in Wisconsin. Is that right? I don't know. Uh, these are the, the best cows up there. They are the, one, they are the fattened cows. He's saying that, they are over, that you're over your lavish lifestyle. That is... Um, that he is going to bring that down. So also here, uh, the mountain of Samaria. So he's talking about the Samaritan as well. Contrast this with the, uh, with the good Samaritan. So these are people who are uh, over, uh, over in abundance. Uh, they, are, uh, they have their need for nothing. They want for nothing. And then they trample people to get other things. But compare that to the good Samaritan. One hurts Others for their own benefit. Others give themselves up and sacrifice. What does that point to? What is that? What is what is the that Samaritan versus the good Samaritan? What does that point to? Ultimately, Jesus laying down his life for others. We get these small glimpses of pointing to Jesus. We see a different side of God here in some sarcasm. In verse 4, come to Bethel and transgress, to Gilgal, and multiply transgression. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving of that which is leavened, and proclaim freewill offerings. Publish them, for so you love to do, O people of Israel, declares the Lord. He's showing, bring your, bring your offerings, bring your tithes. You love to just show it off. 
These are God, again, one of, the, one of the original points that we talk about, God hates religion without your heart. These are ones who are overstuffed. They have abundance, but their hearts are not in it. They're bringing, he says, bring these offerings, publish them, show off, because that's what you love to do, right? But God hates these religious rituals without the heart. Chapter 4 ends with multiple things that God, that God says to warn his people to get their attention uh, but they did not look to him. I gave you cleanliness of teeth in all your cities. Again, abundance. And lack of bread, excuse me, taking that, taking that away. And lack of bread in all your places. Yet you did not return to me. If you have your Bibles, underline that. Yet you did not return to me. I also withheld the rain from you when there were yet three months to the harvest. I struck you with blight and mildew, and your, and your many gardens and your vineyards, your fig trees and your olive trees, the locusts devoured, yet you did not return to me. I killed your young men with a sword, I carried away your horses, and I made the stench of your camp go up through your nostrils, yet you did not return to me. I overthrew some of you, as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and, when you, were, and, and you were as a brand plucked out of the burning, yet... You did not return to me. Yet, you did not return to me. God is doing all these things around the people, yet they are not returning to him. And then we come to this sobering statement. Therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel. Because I will do this to you, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. Underline, prepare to meet your God. This is the God, the big God. If we take nothing else away from today, we need to see this big God who is righteous, who is just. He says, prepare to meet this God. I've done all these things around you to try to turn you to me, but you did not. You did not return to me. So therefore, prepare to meet your God. For behold, continues, for behold, he who who forms the mountains and creates the wind and declares to man what, his, what is his thought, who makes the morning darkness and treads on the heights of the earth. The Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. This is the same God, a big God. Say big God. He is a big God. Prepare to meet our God. The story continues, Amos 5. And this is where we start to see a little glimpse, little more glimpses of God's mercy. So far, we've seen this God of wrath. Now we get to see a way out. For thus says the Lord, this is uh, verse 4, for thus says the Lord, the house of Israel, seek me and live. Underline that. Later, we'll see, seek the Lord and live. Seek good and not evil. Verse 15 says, hate evil and love Good. This is where we come to these calls of repentance and reminders of God's goodness. He's giving a way out. He says, seek what? Seek me and what? Live. Seek the Lord and live. Seek good, not evil. Hate evil 
and love good. This is a perfect example, perfect uh, representation of this invitation to repent. This is what repentance is. It says, seek me and live. Turn away from that which God hates and turn to what God loves and turn to himself. He's giving a way out. They still did not return to him before this. He's saying, seek me and live. God is gracious and still gives us this way through repentance. It's a way out of his judgment. And this is only allowed because of his son. He is just to wipe us out, but he is also just to forgive because of his son, again, whom this is all laid on. Hate evil. Hate what God hates. Love what God loves. We see this in scripture. It applies to us today. God knows all of your sin. God knows all of my sin as I stand here before you. But yet he still forgives. How crazy is that? Like take a second to actually think about that. We see that in, in 5.12, if you're in, your, if you're in, in your, uh, your Bibles here, we also see in Hebrews 13, this idea of God knowing all of our sins, all of our transgressions, nothing is hidden from him. None of your thoughts. And he still makes a way through repentance, through faith, through his son, Jesus. We continue in verse 18. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Here's that um, theme again, the day of the Lord. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. It's kind of, be careful what you wish for, is what he's saying. If a man fled from a lion... And a bear met him, or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall, and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light, and gloom with no brightness in it? I'm going to stop there for a second. So, what do we say about the day of the Lord? What are the two things? There you go. Salvation or destruction. So he's saying, be careful what you wish for, Israel. Again, prepare to meet your God. Are you sure you want this judgment on you? It is the Lord brings darkness and not light, gloom with no brightness in it. This is if you are out, outside of the household of faith. He is bringing this in. But again, he's talking to his people. Continues in verse 21. Strong words from the Lord here. I hate, I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings from your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But then what's the positive? Let the, but let justice roll down like waters. And righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Read that again. That's, this is strong, strong words from the Lord. All of it has been. This one uh, is specifically talking about how he hates. He, he hates, he despises our feasts. He takes no delight in our solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. This one specifically, verse 23 uh, hit me hard this week. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. It's like if we're worshiping, if we're, if we're in worship, 
and God were to say, take away from me the noise of your songs, to the melody of your harps, I will not listen. Why is he saying that? It's because they have not brought their hearts to him. Now, this is different from worshiping despite your feelings. We, sh- we are still supposed to worship no matter what. He's talking about those who come in and just give their tithes. Again, remember from a few, a few verses before where they, they publish, they, uh, they just come in and they do church and they just give without thinking about it. But that they go, it'd be like today bringing in your tithe and then living completely differently the rest of the week. Singing the song but not having your heart into it. Now, this is different, again, from coming in and singing even though you don't feel like it. Let me be clear here. So, we should still worship when we don't feel like it. He's talking about brokenheartedness. We are to come in here broken. We are to come in here giving our heart. We do come in with gladness. But if he doesn't have your heart, he says he despises your feasts. He takes no delight in your solemn assemblies. So the practical takeaway is bring him your heart before you bring him your rituals. We're not here to do church. We're here to give our hearts to Jesus, to our king. And he ends with saying, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. We see it again, I think it's in Micah. Seek justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. So this is overall a big warning against religion, against external religion. We must worship him in spirit and in truth. We're going to keep going. Uh, Chapter 6. So it starts off with a couple of woes. We, just, uh, we saw this in verse 18 of chapter 5 where he said, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. This, this means stop, pause, ponder on this, take warning of this when you see a woe, slow down. So again, from going back, verse 18, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. It's like, to think about this. Do you really want this? Now in chapter 6, a similar warning. Woe to those who are at ease in Zion. And to those who feel secure in the mountain of Samaria, the notable men of the, of the first, excuse me, the notable men of the first of the nations to whom the house of Israel comes, woe to those who lie on beds of ivory, again, this extravagance, and stretch themselves out on their couches and eat lambs uh, from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall, who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp. And like David, intent for themselves instruments of music, who drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the finest oils, but here's the key, but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. So woe to those, this is fighting, fighting against complacency. Woe to those who are at ease in Zion. We can take refuge in Jesus, but we cannot be complacent. Again, just like he's talking about earlier, playing church, We cannot be complacent in our faith. Ask God, this is a good prayer, ask God to not make you comfortable in your faith, to help you to step out, to make you uncomfortable, to bring him glory. Who drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the finest oils, but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. This is extravagance, but they're not 
worried about their own sin. They're not thinking about other people. They're self-centered. I think the biggest warning from here is about material wealth. God's warning, and it's, it's still true today that when we have, it's having money itself is not bad. We've heard this. I know you know this. I, I, we, we've talked about this. But it is dangerous when that does become your idol. It's dangerous when we go into this comfort. We should want to be uncomfortable in this world. This is not our home, Christian. God is calling us out of comfort So just be aware, refuge, today. In your own, I'm, I'm, I'm calling this out in myself, in us. Be careful with material wealth. Be careful with things. The enemy wants you to find comfort in those things, but those things cannot save. It makes us, I think, actually, who cares what I think? What the scriptures say is that these material things we can be used by the enemy to numb us to the gospel. Just be aware this morning. Chapter 7. So this again ends, we're, we're landing this plane. Chapter 7 uh, ends with these warning visions, or these visions of warning. So we're going to see a locust, a f- uh, locust again like last week, a fire and a plumb line uh, coming up here, so here we go. And uh, summer fruit is the last one. That's in chapter 8. Uh, I'm going to read a lot of this. Chapter 7 begins with, This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, he was forming locusts, circle locusts in your Bible, uh, when, the, uh, when the latter growth, excuse me, he was forming locusts when the latter growth was just beginning to sprout. And behold, it was a latter growth after the king's mowings. When they had finished eating the grass of the land, I said, O Lord, Please forgive. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. Again, remember, this is a vision. And see what this is. This is Amos, God showing Amos what to say, how to react. Oh, Lord God, please forgive. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. Then what happens next? The Lord relented concerning this. It shall not be. This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, the Lord God was calling for a judgment by fire. It's our second one. And devoured the great deep, and it was eating up the land. Then I said, O Lord God, please cease. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. So if you're circling in the the first part, in verse 2, circle, O Lord, please forgive. O Lord, please cease in in verse 4. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. And then the Lord relented concerning this. "This This also shall not be, said the Lord God. This is what also what he showed me. Behold, the Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line. What's a plumb line? That's a, it's a, a string with a, uh, with a weight on the bottom to show if a, if a wall is straight. That's what that's showing. This is what he showed me. Behold, the Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line uh, in his hand. Excuse me, built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, behold... I'm setting a plumb line in the midst of my people, Israel. I will never again pass by them. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. And I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. 
So this was a theme from last week in Joel as well. It's a theme today. Cry out to the Lord. He says, oh Lord, please forgive. And then what's God's reaction? The Lord relented concerning this. It shall not be. Oh Lord, please cease. The Lord relented concerning this. So what this is pointing us towards is cry out to the Lord. Again, we remember last week, all of the destruction, all of the, the bad things we talked about for us, the application for us was that when bad things are happening in your life, to cry out to the Lord. And we see the Lord ceased. He wants us to cry out to him. The Lord responds by mercy. This is the power, my friends, of intercessory prayer. God, right now, even at this moment, if you are in Christ, Jesus is interceding for you. That is the ultimate prayer that he is praying. He is, he is the one that is in between us and this destruction. All we have to do is cry out to him. Think of this plumb line. The reason he's using this we believe, is it showing how out of alignment his people are. He's saying that they are so, so out of line that God is going to realign and purify. Now, remember, we get the full picture here. So how does Jesus, or excuse me, I just gave away the answer. How, do, how does God realign his people? Thank you. All right. Good job. Wow. He realigns us through Jesus. What we could not do, standing before a holy God, one simple sin is poison. It, it, is, it does not measure up to this holy God. We, are, and then the, we can't do this for one single day. We cannot go a single day without sinning. And so we are so out of alignment with who, who God is, with his word, with his statutes, that he needed to send somebody. He needed to realign us. And we have the perfect realignment in Jesus. Amen. What we could not do, he did. He lived perfectly. He died the death that we deserve, and then he rose again so that we can have this perfect alignment with God. What do we do? We cry out to him. We become more brokenhearted. The Bible says, I wish I was better at remembering exactly where. The Bible says, that his power is made perfect in our weakness. So we can be weak today. I gotta keep going. I'm off notes. So. Chapter seven just ends with a pagan priest uh, telling Amos, hey, get out of here with your stuff. We don't wanna hear it. Go somewhere else. Uh, we don't wanna hear these during prosperous times. Take that back somewhere else and go prophesy somewhere else. Amos just continues to preach more. He can, and then he actually curses the pagan priest, and then he just continues to prophesy. Chapter, uh, actually, here, we'll go chapter, I think we missed chapter 8. Uh, this is what the Lord, so chapter 8, this is what the Lord showed me. Behold, a basket of summer fruit. And he said, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then the Lord said to me, the end will come upon my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. The songs of the temple shall become wailings in that day, declares the Lord. So many dead bodies, they are thrown everywhere. Silence. That should be on a mug too. Hear this, you who trample on the needy, and bring the poor in the land to an end, saying, when will, we, when will the new moon be over, that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath, when, that we may offer wheat for sale, that we may make a, uh, a path, uh, excuse me, 
Ephah, small, and, the, and Sheik, great, and deal deceitfully with false balances, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and sell chaff and wheat. So he's saying this, this idea of this basket of summer fruit, this is this ripe fruit that God can't, will not withhold his judgment forever. The time is right and the time that he's holding back, just like he said that, uh, that he relented in the previous chapter, now that time is coming where he will not withhold his judgment on his people forever in this vision. God is holding back his judgment, but like this, uh, this basket of summer fruit, it's ripe and it's about to come. Again, we see God's hatred for people who look to these material possessions as he says, hear this, you trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to end. And, he's, and when, when, the, when will the new moon be over that may, we may sell grain? They're, con- they're concerned about profits, about money, about material possessions and not worried about the needy. It's another warning. So now we go on, how will God deal with his people? And this is a, another scary thought Behold, this is verse 11 in chapter 8. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor of thirst for water, but hearing of the words of the Lord. Imagine if, if we did not have the words of the Lord. It's terrifying. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro and seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. Those are sobering words. We can be thankful today that we still have God's word, that he did not wipe everyone out, that he did not wipe us out, but that we have his word preserved that we can go and we can feast on the word. Chapter 9. Destruction and hope. I saw the Lord standing beside the altar and he said, strike the capitals until the thresholds shake and shatter them on the heads of all people. And those who are left of them I will kill with the sword. Not one of them shall flee away. Not one of them shall escape. Nothing will escape the Lord. None, these are my words, none, of, none shall escape. The, word, the Lord should wipe out everyone for their iniquities. But then we get this hope coming in verse 8. Behold, the, the eyes of the Lord are upon the sinful kingdom, us. Israel. Behold, the eyes of the Lord are upon the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from the surface to the ground. But pay attention here, except that I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, declares the Lord. This is good news, that I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob. God does not intend for this judgment that's coming on Israel to be a final judgment. He's using this as a tool from which blessing will come. Again, these small glimpses of hope that are coming. All of this judgment on Israel is to purify. He uses these things to purify us and use it as a tool which will become blessing. And we'll see what this blessing is as we close coming to this last section where we see restoration to his people. This is so good, y'all. In, the day, in that day, I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen. Underline that. In that day, I will raise up the booth of David or the tent of David that has fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. 
that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. This means there won't, you won't be able to plant, you won't be able to, uh, to uh, get as many, you won't be able to plant it fast enough, you won't be able to grow it fast enough because I'm going to bless you. The mountains shall drip sweet wine. We read that in Joel as well last week. The mountains shall drip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. And then a promise, I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel. And they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine. They shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted. Out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. And that's where it ends today. He says, I will raise up the booth of David. Does that stick out to y'all? What is that? The booth of David, the tent of David, what ultimately comes from the line of David? That's the church answer. That's right. Jesus. It's true. On that day, I will raise up the booth of David. So he, again, we see that earlier where there will be a little bit saved. A remnant will be saved. He says, I will not utterly destroy. So we get these glimpses in all of this destruction. And then he gives this promise that he will restore, that he will rebuild and that in that day I will raise up the booth of David. From that line of David comes our Savior, our King. We see this practically. Is Israel there today? Yes. His promises were kept. A lot of these prophecies happened, these coming dooms came when the Assyrians took over some 20 to 40 years later after this was written. A lot of these have already happened. And then ultimately we see the booth of David that has fallen, that he will raise that up, that Jesus will come from this booth of David. Praise God. All who have come against Israel fall. He keeps his people. All who come against you, if you are in Christ Jesus, will not destroy you. Rest in that this morning. Again, I know we've seen a lot of judgment, a lot of harshness, a lot of this different side of God. And honestly, that's why we go through these is because we've talked about this. All of, all of God's word is profitable. We need to see the full counsel of God. We cannot see just this one side because he is just. He's just to wipe out. He's just to judge. He's also just to forgive because of his son. So I'll leave us with this this morning, just a couple of recap, or to recap some of the main points, repent and turn to the Lord today. Same as last week. I mean, I love, I love being y'all's pastor. I've heard multiple things uh, this week. Um, people who have gone back and read Joel, and I just love hearing that God's word is messing with y'all. It messes with me. Keep having it mess with you. Keep seeing this other side, the full counsel of God. Return to the Lord today. Repent. What is that thing today that you need to repent from? Turn to him. He is the one who saves. He is the one who satisfies. He's the only one who can do that. 
Rest in the finished work of Jesus. It is finished. Refuge Church, listen to me. Hear this clearly. It is finished. Amen. Give your heart to him in worship. We're about to worship through giving. We're about to worship through singing. Give your heart to him. What does that practically look like? Become brokenhearted for your sin. As others are judged, become brokenhearted for them. As we saw in the first chapters, a lot of these judgments on other nations, we're tempted to be like, yes, God, go judge them, but it starts with us. Look inward. Become brokenhearted for your sin, and he is faithful to forgive. His power is made perfect in our weakness. My friends, we need to see this desperate need for Jesus this morning. But we don't need to stay in shame. We don't need to stay in guilt. The enemy wants you to stay there. But we have a Savior who is bigger than all of your sins, who has forgiven all of your sins. And so we're going to go into this time of...